Hi, Bloom. A quick note before we begin this week's episode. Instead of our typical discussion around the Acts passage that we've been doing throughout the season of Pentecost, instead this week we're going to be playing David's message that was recorded live at our gathering this past weekend. So we do hope you enjoy it along with the rest of our guided liturgy that is included in this week's episode, and let's get into it. Grace and peace to you, Bloom. Welcome to our guided liturgy podcast where we go through the liturgy that uh, is given to us by the prayer book that invites us into confession, into prayer for the world and for the church, into a time of meditation and worship and reflecting on scripture. With me, as always, is Taryn Jost and Dulcie Booth and Seth Slay. Hello. Hi. If you haven't joined us before, just wanted to reintroduce these folks as they are leaders in our church in different capacities. So tonight we are um, on the scripture side, we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, of the church learning who they are as the body of Christ and starting to walk out that reality together. So our prayer for you as always is that you would encounter Christ in these moments, that you would be open to the beauty of God around you, among you, filling you, and living through you. Let's begin. Bloom, let's join together now with the church worldwide and say the prayer of the day together. Let Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please join me for the prayers. We pray to God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, creator, and renew the earth. Come and walk this cracked and dry land with us, renewing it with life and love. Bring springs of water where once there was only sand. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, counselor, and touch our lips that we may proclaim your word. Teach us when to shout for justice, when to speak truth to each other, and when to be silent and listen. Holy Spirit, come come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, power from on high. Make us channels of peace and ministers of healing. And let us begin that good work by inviting your peace and healing into our own lives. Holy Spirit, come come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, breath of God, Give life to the dry bones around us and make us a living people, holy and free. Free us to believe that we are who you have declared, your children, yours always. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, wisdom and truth. Strengthen us to be bold in faith. Make us strong to stand and protect us from our own fears and the fiery arrows that may come. Holy Spirit, come upon us.
high upon the mountains, far below on the plains. The Lord is our lantern, a light for all the ages. Lord, lead us higher to your holy mountainside. Let us see your glory be transfigured by your light.
Hear a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Theodos, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. The word of the Lord. The purpose of the sermon and in uh, the liturgy is to draw people to the, the people of God, uh, those gathered to repentance. Repentance meaning that we change, that we uh, we allow the Spirit of God to come and to sift through us and to and to show us a more inspired, Christ-centered view of life. And uh, just to just to be honest, we. What we do is we have uh, the podcast on Monday. We talk about uh, the verse that's coming up on Sunday. And for the first time, which is a miracle, this hasn't happened before, but for the first time, none of us had anything to say. That's me, Dulcie Booth, Taryn Jost, and Seth Slay, and no one had anything to say. It like was the silence of God. <laughs> um, but... Part of that is because this, this verse at where we are in our, um, in our nation and in our church life, our history, um, I do think that it does nothing but call us to repentance. And so I'd just like to kind of to point out to you what we've been holding, um, and then we can meditate on that together. We can go to confession together. We can go to prayer together uh, because I think it does call us to be um, a closer well, to walk closer with Christ is the picture I keep getting over this gathering is that Christ takes us by the hand and he draws us into a deeper place of prayer, into a closer walk with him. And to, and to part of that road is suffering and is persecution that uh, we see in this story. Um, you know, 
this is this rhythm that we see in the early church is that they go and they learn to be who they are in Christ as the body of Christ. They start seeing the works of Christ, the healing of Christ, the grace, the kindness, the compassion, the call to repentance, uh, the, the restoration of all things. These things start flowing out of their bodies, out of their mouth, out of their actions, out of everything that they own, everything they hold agency over. And then they get called into question by the religious authorities, the same authorities that crucified Jesus for doing the same thing, for embodying Christ on the earth. And so now it's the body of Christ, the people of God, the church, embodying Christ on the earth. And they see those works that they sent Jesus to death for. And so here they are in front of the council again. Many of these people were the same people that put Jesus to death. And, and it's interesting when they We'll get into this whole Gamaliel conversation, and Gamaliel kind of calls the council to take a breath before they murder. So there's this kind of um, gracious act uh, of the Spirit, I believe, that he calls them to, let's breathe before we execute. Let's not be so hasty to kill again. And so what they do is they, they have this speech about if it's, you know, if it's something of God, then it'll continue. If it's not of God, it'll die. We've seen it before. We've seen leaders rise up and their movement dies. Leaders rise up, their movement dies. And this is kind of what we see in, in the, the pattern of, of humanity. But um, if it is from God, then let's not get in the way. So they, they don't want to cause any trouble. They send them out. And it says the apostles rejoice because they have been counted worthy to suffer with Christ. I mean, it just strikes me uh, pretty profoundly that what they leave saying is not like, wow, we were saved. <laughs> Whoever that Gamaliel guy is, like, he saved our skin. Uh, they didn't, like, kind of go, well, I think we're kind of going to get favor with the local government. That's a good thing, right? Like, people like us. They weren't, like, mad as one should be when you're about to be killed, right? But they come out rejoicing. Why? Because they've been counted worthy to suffer with Christ. That is to say, they've been counted worthy to walk with Christ in Christ's way, which is suffering. And we have a really interesting relationship with suffering in the, in the American U.S. evangelical church. For most... Of the time, I think that we just kind of reject it. And any suffering that one goes through is, is evidence of sin or maybe not walking as close to God as you should. And, and so any type of uncomfortability is, is then perceived as suffering and is rejected. And then we have this other side is to kind of like, it's just almost like I'm going to foe embrace suffering. Like, uh, I'm going to call things suffering that isn't suffering in order to kind of sound like, I'll give you an example. When I was in seminary, um, we, were, we were called into chapel, and so we were going to like, we, the, the, the topic was suffering. And, um, and so we read the psalm together, and then we, the worship leader led us. You know, Seth doesn't do this, but you know, worship leaders get that real breathy, God, we just lay everything, and we just, and there's lots of justs, but we just... Uh, we just ask that, like, you would take our burdens and our tests and our exams and our, and that was suffering to us. I mean, not to me, because I really didn't study. But, 
for all those, that was like this evangelical view or U.S. view of suffering is that it's, it's really not suffering. It's like discomfort. And so there's this massive aversion to suffering. And if you're suffering, you're doing something wrong. I don't know how many people I've prayed for in this room that their story is they're sick Something's going on in their body, and they said, I came from this other place, and they told me that the reason that I'm sick or that I'm suffering is because of sin. Because I did something wrong, and I'm being punished for it. And that we have this, I could go into it, but it's just this bizarre relationship to suffering. But I think part of the reason they walked out said, and saying, like, praising God, rejoicing that they were suffering that they're walking in the way of Christ, is because that's what Christ talked to them about. He talked to them about, blessed are the meek, and blessed are the poor, and blessed are those who suffer. Don't expect to be friends with the principles and the principalities and the, the powers of this world. That they'll come against, you will suffer for my sake. I mean, they know, Jesus talked to them about this. There's one time that Peter tried to stop Jesus from walking that road of suffering that eventually led to the cross, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. This is my road. My road is suffering. Remember, I don't know if you've read Hind's Feet on High Places. It's, a, it's an allegorical work by um, Hannah Hernard and, and the... The thing I remember most about this book is this, this allegory, this, this, um, this girl is walking the path of Christ, and she's walking up the mountain, and, um, and she has these two uh, companions that are revealed to her that are the most suitable companions that Jesus could give her for this journey of her life in Christ. And I thought that they'd be like power and faith, or like overcome, you know what I'm saying? Like you want something like boldness or, well, the two companions were revealed to be sorrow and suffering. I've never forgotten that, that I know it's an allegory, um, but this woman, when she wrote this, she said, how do I explain the Christian life and like what it feels like to walk that road with Christ and, 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 and what keeps you in it? It's the embracing of sorrow and suffering. Not the rejection of it, but the embracing of it. In the Christ hymn, Paul uh, tells the story of Christ becoming incarnate in the man Jesus. And, and he says, Christ did not consider equality with God, privilege, something to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant. He embraced that low road. He embraced humility. He embraced suffering. The way of Christ is suffering. And the apostles understood that. They had lived life with this man, Jesus, their Savior, their rabbi, their friend. And they saw that this was his road. And so when they're kicked out of this council, suffering 
must have felt familiar to them. They must have felt the closeness of Christ in that. Because somehow in the economy of the kingdom of God, it's not the strong, it's not the powerful, it's not the correct, but it's the meek and the poor and the powerless that are the conduits for the restoration of all things. And Christ set in motion the restoration of all things in the cross. It was through suffering, not strength, not power, not the wisdom of the world, but suffering. It's not how we think. It's not how we process things. It's not how we think that things should move forward. But the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things, is brought about through the weak, the humble, the small. He considered it not equality of God, considered equality of God not something to be grasped, but emptied himself. It's the experience of walking with Christ. It's the experience of the apostles, the experience of the early church. To be with Christ is to embrace suffering. We came together as a community, as a nation, and celebrated the life of John Lewis this past week in the memorial. civil rights activist, congressman, did truly awe-inspiring things in his life to further the, the, the movement of restoration and equality in our nation. In 1965, he led a march. They didn't get far. They were going to go to Montgomery, but they got a little bit past Selma and they on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they were stopped, and you know the story, they were beaten, they suffered. John Lewis, as a disciple of Jesus, understood that suffering does not mean failure. Being made weak does not mean failure. In fact, it means, and he speaks of this, a closeness with Christ and the heart of Christ to see all people loved and restored and valued and set free. I was reading about this, and there's something that's just so fascinating about this story. Before the confrontation happened, we call Bloody Sunday. On that bridge in 1965, the officers on the other side, they said, stop your march, go back to your church. Of course, they refused. And this is where the way of suffering and the way of Christ is totally missed by the uninspired view of our world. 
Because you can't go back to church when you are the church. When they heard that, stop this march and return back to your church. That's not the reality they were living in. They are the church. The body of Christ, filled with the Spirit, the people of God, filled with the presence of God, to see the works of Christ done on the earth, the love of Christ be released upon the earth, the justice of Christ, the restoration of Christ. You can't go back to church when you are the church. Are you with me? I mean, we've seen that in this whole COVID situation. There's this, y- this yearning to go back to church. We have to st- like re- realize that we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the incarnation of Christ and the love and the healing and compassion and the grace of Christ in our world. You can't go back to something. You are that. Are you with me on that? The nature of Christ is not understood by the uninspired. It's not always understood by our world, by our leaders. But it's the way of Christ nonetheless. And to walk with Christ is to walk his road. Which is so many times is paved with suffering, with sorrow, with compassion, with prayer. We let that drive us to the place of intimacy with Christ. To the place of being broken over the state of our world over the state of the hearts of people that we know, that we love. That's what the apostles were doing. They got this. They got that they are the church. They are the body of Christ. That's when Gamaliel says something that sounds so wise. All these leaders, they passed away, and then the the movements died, so we'll just see what happens. Well, the thing is that Gamaliel doesn't even understand is that Christ is not dead. He is alive, and he's embodied in every single person that follows him. He's embodied by those apostles. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not either or. It's maybe they'll make it, maybe they won't. Their leader died. It's their leader's alive and lives within them. Right? Their leaders drawing them into the way of restoration through suffering, through prayer, through having their hearts broken for the world. That's what they were doing. That's why they were healing people in the streets. That's why they were drawing people from the outer fringes of society into a place of home in the kingdom. That's why they were seeing that no one had need among them, that every person was fed and clothed and taken care of. That's what they were doing. We saw it then. We saw it, I think, this last week again in the life of John Lewis and all those who were pushing that every person would be seen as equal as Christ sees us, that every person would be honored and valued as holding within them the image of God. We see it today in the church as this church still moves on, embracing the way of Christ. We want to see the works of Christ and the heart of Christ be released on our city, right? It was one of those times I'd talk too long.
But as we meditate on this, as we think about this, and as we invite the Spirit to move in our hearts and to renew us and to make us ever more beautiful, ever more brilliant as the body of Christ, let us pray that we have that intimacy with Christ that, that just lets suffering be in it, in our walk with Christ, that we don't run from it, that we don't run from persecution, but we, we embrace it as Christ did. It's not to be martyrs, but it's also to say that sometimes the way forward is marked with suffering and sorrow, and that draws us to prayer and intimacy, and that's the point of it all, right? The Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of God. Love as Christ loved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away all anger and bitterness, all slander and malice. So let us confess our sin to God who forgives us in Christ. In a dark and disfigured world, we have not held out the light of life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, Lord, have, have mercy. mercy. In a hungry and despairing world, we have failed to share our bread. Christ, have mercy. Christ, Christ have, have mercy. In a cold and loveless world, we have kept the love of God to ourselves. Lord, have mercy. Lord, Lord have, have mercy. May the Father forgive us by the death of his Son and strengthen us to live in the power of the Spirit all of our days. Amen. Amen. Gathering our prayers and our praises into one, let us pray as Christ our Savior has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Bloom, may God, who gives patience and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity to live in harmony as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain in you always. Go in peace to love and to serve Jesus. <laughs>